Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Well, welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with Todd Atkins. Uh, I don't know. I may have, I may have grown beyond uh, uh, my what. No, no more. Maybe. Just, we'll, we'll, I'm just feeling it out, man. There you go. Well, we are excited today because we are joined by Henry Cat. Dang it. <laughs> Is it Kaysner? I can't remember. <laughs> it's Kaysner. Okay. Dude, I'll take anything close. It's so will the audience. <laughs> there we go. Henry Kaysner. And you just heard his voice there. He is the co-founder of Bandwidth and a managing principal in Sovereign's Capital, a venture capital management company that invests over $100 million in faith-driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and the U.S. So a lot going on globally uh, for faith-driven entrepreneurs. And he has a new book coming out titled Faith-Driven Entrepreneur, co-authored with J.D. Greer and Chip Ingram. Henry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Chandler, it's great to be with you. Todd, great to be with you as well. Good deal. Okay, so what's it like working with J.D. and Chip Ingram? Because knowing both of those people, that's an yeah. interesting that's, a, that's an interesting combo. So tell us a little bit about how this came together and tell us about, of course, uh, tell us a little bit about the book. It is. Uh, so both of them are, are great friends of mine. I've, I've known each for more than 10 years. Um, uh, I came out, I live in Northern California now, but I came out here from uh, North Carolina. I didn't go to JD's church. Um, I went to a church called the Church of Good Shepherd, where I came to faith as an adult and I stayed there, but became good friends with JD. And uh, we had a lot of fun talking about how God is working in the world and um, developed a friendship from there. And then Chip, uh, I got to know him through some generosity ministry stuff that I was working on also about the same time, 10, 12 years ago. And then when I moved out here with my family, it just made all the sense in the world, of course, to join Venture Church, where he's a senior pastor. And Chip and I have done some traveling together to places like the Philippines um, to talk about faith in the marketplace. And um, it was just a no brainer for uh, having had both of those guys on our Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast for um, us to look at faith driven entrepreneurship through a scriptural foundation, as well as one that is practical. And so um, to have both of those guys work together with me and our broader team at Faith Driven Entrepreneur was, was just a real treat. Well, if you have, if you have not picked up a copy of it, you're going to want to, it comes out this August. So by the time that this podcast airs, you're going to be able to pick up a copy. So you're going to want to do that faith driven entrepreneur. And I'm sure we'll come back to a little bit of, of the book throughout the podcast, but we do want to hop into the five leadership questions. And the first one, Henry is simply this is who are you currently learning from? Uh, you know, in the midst of you, you mentioned your own podcast, so many different, you know, opportunities working with, with business leaders, who are you currently learning from? Well, I'm always learning from Tim Keller. Uh, I'm always <laughs> listening uh, and learning from JD and Chip, of course. Um, Tim Keller does uh, such a great job for me of unpacking the Bible in a way that's applicable and makes a lot of sense and speaks to my heart and my head. I'll tell you that through COVID, um, uh, we've had a great chance as a family to not only go to our home church that's broadcast, but also to get some best hits from David Platt and from um, Billy Graham and and just a, a bunch of the great sermons that are out there. So learning collectively from them. I'm learning from Oswald Chambers. I got my utmost for his highest right here doing this devotional with my family, uh, a lot of learning. But I think that uh, the thing uh, 
that impacts me probably the most is learning from the entrepreneurs that I work with and what they're struggling with and what they're seeing right now. You know, before we went live, Todd was asking me some questions about blockchain which I, I'm not an expert in by any stretch, but I get to learn from entrepreneurs that are innovating and creating every day, solving problems and leaning in opportunities and just seeing how they're processing, seeing what the market's giving them, seeing what they're struggling with scripturally, struggling, seeing where they're struggling with in terms of sin, seeing where they're uh, just leaning into just really neat market dynamics, learning from their employees, their partners, their vendors, and their customers. So I think that what might make me a little different than maybe other guests you might have is that I tend to learn as much, if not more from those who are younger and less maybe experienced than I am, because they're the ones that are taking the massive risks and they're the ones that are innovating and creating. So I hold that in balance with folks like Tim Keller. Hmm. That's so many, uh, that's a great lineup right there to, to be learning from, but I love the way that you're talking about learning from, from people even younger than you and trying to, you know, what, what is being innovated on right now that you can learn from. And a lot of people who are stepping into, and I know for you is even was before we were talking, you're talking about the, seeing the marketplace as a mission field and wanting to, to take your faith into that space. And there might be somebody listening who is wanting to do that as well but they're not exactly sure where to start or maybe even where, who to learn from. So for somebody who's saying, Hey, I feel called to this mission field where I am in the marketplace. I, maybe they're an entrepreneur, maybe they're in a, just a business setting and they're not a church leader, or even it's a church leader who's wanting to pour into those in the marketplace. Where would you suggest for them to start learning of how they can do that and how to take steps toward seeing that as a mission field and being effective there? Yeah. Um, so way to answer that, I think, and you can tell me if it's, if it's a good enough one is to think about, um, what kind of problem they're trying to solve? What kind of a problem are they trying to solve? Um, what opportunity they lean into? Um, is it a problem worth solving? Um, is it a big enough problem to care about? Um, who else is trying to solve that problem? Um, if they feel compelled to, to solve this problem, and this is how I'm casting this entrepreneurial journey is we are all problem solvers. We see something in the marketplace that needs to be redeemed or restored or fixed or an opportunity again to lean into. Um, it, I think that casting and solving problems is a part of really kind of getting into this work that's being done by God as his kingdom is advancing. And, and an entrepreneur is involved in, and again, redemption and restoration. So if that's the case, um, who are the other people that care about solving this problem that you might learn from that might have tried to solve this problem from a different angle and maybe they succeeded and maybe they failed. But if uh, you're an entrepreneur that ultimately will be seeking investment outside financial investment from people, they're going to ask you those questions. What problem are you trying to solve? What makes you uniquely qualified to solve the problem? Is it a problem that I should care about? Is it big enough? And you need to be able to, you need to be able to answer those questions. Um, and then and learn from it. And then the other thing, of course, is important is is to really be able to to seek out um, is God calling me to solve this problem? What kind of spiritual disciplines are you going through? Is it just a function of the fact that, gosh, you know, I think I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. This seems to be the thing. But are you really seeking God's will um, through accountability, God's word, prayer, fasting, et cetera? So I, I want to ask a follow-up question to that because for so many church leaders, um, they have some of these people, this type of person in their congregation, and 
they're not sure what to do with them or they're not sure how to engage them or they're like, I, I just need more people to work in the children's ministry. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do with this person. Uh, how would you, I don't know, coach them up on how to engage this community to get the, the, the most out of them and help them use their gifts and service to Christ. Yeah. So I'm biased. You know, I, I, th- I think that, uh, that faith driven entrepreneurs are being used by God, uh, in the marketplace to really impact culture. And I'm channeling kind of my, my inner Andy crotch here out of, out of praxis, but, uh, I really do believe that entrepreneurs are culture makers. And so pastors need to solve that problem. They need to be able to answer that question. Um, part of it is it's a learning tour. Anytime that you are uh, new to, I, I think about people who feel called to, to, um, to go to Kenya, the people I admire are those who have like a hundred cups of coffee and just learning what's going on. So if I'm a pastor and I know that they're business owners and entrepreneurs in my midst and intellectually, I get the sense that they are employing people in my community. They're serving people in my community. They're solving problems in my community. Who are they? What are they doing? What are their worlds like? And getting together and visiting them at the workplace, in the marketplace, so they can get a sense for all these things and who this person is. I think it's a, a um, I think that a lot of pastors don't get together with these entrepreneurs and business owners to learn from them. And then when they do, oftentimes the person will stop by the church and that'll, that'll be where the interaction is. I think pastors need to get out there in the marketplace and to meet some of these partners, customers, vendors, and to develop relationships with them. And that will help them to understand how to better serve them because entrepreneurs need to be served and they need to be served with the gospel. Discipleship and evangelism is a big deal, of course, for entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are, are suffer from loneliness and anxiety and uh, all sorts of different challenges that they have with identity and Christ and mission and calling and balance and all of those things. So they need the pastor in their life. And yet the pastor, in order to serve them well, has to know them. And in the process of getting out there in the marketplace and, and understanding what the business owner does, uh, they're going to be in a better position to serve the leaders in their, in their, uh, the marketplace entrepreneurial leaders in their congregation. And then also they're going to have that much more of a sense of, um, how to serve the broader congregation too. I mean, some of the best sermon material is going to come from these visits, you know, on Tuesday I was at a meeting with Tony and Tony was talking about this and, you know, you know, it brings me back to second Chronicles where this was happening. And, and all of a sudden, now there's a relevance that can bring in the entire congregation as they minister to the entrepreneur. Well, I, I love that. Uh, I, I'm thinking now about your ministry itself and your leadership. You know, you, you've had a number of different leadership roles over the years, but what's your main point of emphasis in your leadership right now and, and your work? Um, uh, main point of uh, emphasis on leadership has to do with catalyzing a movement. Um, uh, my entrepreneurial journey, I, I worked on Wall Street and then I was involved in telecom and did a couple of different things on the for-profit side. And in each case, there was an organization that I was leading, uh, all the, uh, always with a great partner. Uh, which is a subject for another conversation maybe, but um, nonetheless, I was leading an organization. Now my biggest leadership challenge is how do I help to lead a movement and catalyze a movement that's not about me and not about an organization, say faith-driven entrepreneur, but how do I help um, faith-driven entrepreneurs um, all around the world? And, and how do, uh, how do, 
I and others that are part of Faith Driven Entrepreneur help build an awareness that faith-driven entrepreneurs are called to create their identities in Christ. They have to be vigilant for things like being willful versus faithful. How do we do that across what are probably a hundred million Christian entrepreneurs and business owners all around the world, many of whom struggle with real issues about anxiety and identity. So how do you serve all of them? Well, if you're going to do that, you can't have any singular organization that ministers to all those people. You just can't, it doesn't work. You have to be involved in a movement that's decentralized. And so I've been studying a lot of uh, the history of decentralized movements. Of course, there's a great textbook on this called The Starfish and the Spider. So how do I lead a very small, nimble organization that's about actually catalyzing a larger movement? Think about Alcoholics Anonymous or think about Craigslist or Wikipedia, some of these other decentralized movements. And what does it look like to be able to have unifying principles that guide the movement? And yet it's decentralized enough so that folks in Romania or Moldova are able to catalyze the entrepreneurs and the business owners in their midst in a way that points them back to God, but doesn't necessarily point them back to any singular organization. So it's a different type of leadership model that I'm focusing on, on leading now. And that's really interesting. You know, the way that you put that as far as uh, the, of course, the example of the, the starfish and the spider. But, you know, when I think of what you're talking about is you're allowing them to contextualize that, you know, to where they are and, and be a catalyst where they are. Um, is that OK? So guys like me, I was an XP. I think of. Uh, McKinsey 7S framework. I'm like story, strategy, structure, system, like all these these kind kinds of pieces um, to make something happen or to um, I don't know give somebody a clear process to run. What's the balance uh, there between like I don't know those uh, hard facts and processes, hard uh, fixed things? And the softer, nuanced elements that can be, I don't know, mixed together. Well, you know, you have to find out what's going to be hard and fast. And are there unifying principles that are universal, that come out of scripture, that they are um, just just truisms in, in, in the marketplace and in the kingdom of God. And then what are things that need to be contextualized that might be softer and more relative to a particular context, whether that's geographic geography or whether it's industry or, you know, a local community. So what are the things, you know, um, this is probably not the best way to explain it, but you know, what are the things you major on and, 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 and versus what you minor on. So the, the things that are hard and fast that I would die on hell for are the fact that entrepreneurs are called to create, uh, that they're, uh, they're creating the image of a God who works six out of seven days. And the gospel of John says their work continues to this day. Okay. Tapping into that creative process, communing with the living God as he continues his work to this day, 
under his power for his glory as a very powerful concept that most entrepreneurs don't grasp. The church pastors don't grasp. They think of entrepreneurs as, yes, you're out there, you're making money. And that's to fuel the missions locally here in the church and then globally. That's how this whole thing works. No, no, no. It's something much bigger. It's God's kingdom on earth coming about and the redemption or restoration through the creative process. So number one, call to create. Number two, the other thing that's hard and fast is identity in Christ. Your identity is not as this entrepreneur that's growing at 20% month over month or is shrinking at 20% month over month or just did this big deal with Google or just signed a $20 million funding round. No, your identity is as the beloved child of God. When God looks at you, he doesn't see that Mark Zuckerberg type of character that you might want to be. He sees his, his son. And when you allow that identity, when you allow that gift to be like fully like internalized for all of us, it transforms you. And then you have an opportunity to then come into the marketplace out of gratitude and joy. You're freed up. You're freed up from what the marketplace might say is a successful person or not. And you just bring all that you are, all your giftings, talents, experience to the altar is your meaningful worship. And it just so happens that God made you an entrepreneur solving a problem in the telecom industry or in the you know, the blockchain industry or something like that. And that gives Christ followers a special advantage, but that ties into the discipleship part. And that's going to be the truth. I believe whether you're an entrepreneur in, in Huntington beach, California, or one in just now Moldova. So those are some of the things that are hard. Um, now, whether you, how you solve a problems uh, in, in, uh, in, um, in a marketplace, that's contextualized. Those are softer. Those are things that you have to journey with an entrepreneur about as they try to solve a problem and understanding the role of public policy as they understand the role of competitors in the marketplace. Those are all the things that they're nuanced, but there are things that are universal truths, I believe. And we call them the marks of a faith-driven entrepreneur. There are 11 of them. And then there are things that are very much contextualized. And that you just have, uh, that just comes out in relationship um, with entrepreneurs as you seek to serve them. That's, that's a very helpful framework to have. And like you said, it's that scales across country, across borders and, and the essentials, but then there is the contextualization within each of those areas. Before we get back to the podcast, let's talk about time and how 24 hours never seem to be enough to get everything done. As a church leader for a growing church, you eventually realize that you can't do everything on your own. Not well, anyway. Your job is to be the visionary, but instead you spend countless hours on tasks that could easily be done and arguably done better by someone else. And that's where the powerful multiplying effects of delegation prove mission critical. Our friends at Belay, the organization revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant, bookkeeping and social media strategist services for growing churches, know the demands on church leaders all too well. In fact, their first client was a pastor and they've continued to serve them every day for the last 10 years. Belay is offering a free download to all our podcast listeners of their delegation worksheet and guide to help you determine what only you can do and what should be delegated so you can get back to what really matters, fulfilling your purpose. Just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. You're now one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. 
Now, thinking back to your own, your own leadership, Henry, what, what are two or three things that you must absolutely do daily that benefit your life and your leadership? Other than read the Bible, other than Sunday school answers. <laughs> oh man. <There> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, okay. So other than read the Bible, um, uh, I have to run every day. I've got to get out there. I've got to run every day. Um, I've got to, um, I've got to spend time with my wife every day. Um, I need to have friends. I need to be able to laugh. Um, I need to spend time in nature, the different things that recharge me. I know that they're all there. Those are all pad answers and, and most of your guests are probably giving them, but, um, those are the, those are the things that, that I need, but gosh, I know I can't talk about the Bible. I need, I need to record, have, we're okay. If you talk about the Bible in this podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm so, look, it, it, it's so anything I'm going to say now is because it's going to be pithy and it's cliche. And yet I find this truth to be so important. And actually those Sunday school answers that didn't really resonate with me early on when I was in Sunday school, I actually find out that it actually really matter. I need to know there's a guy who loves me every day. And if not, I'm completely sunk. I try to do, start doing things under my own power. I have to realize that the guy that took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 doesn't need me, my ministry, bandwidth, anything I've ever done, doesn't. And that can free me up. I need to know that whatever money I have doesn't matter. Um, uh, and that all the money I have also matters, which means that I need to understand that God owns it all. And so that um, I don't have to worry about how to just hold things in for myself. And that frees me up to worship him in a different way. And it gives me the joy of giving. Um, I need to be able to be with people who are not impressed by me. I have three teenage boys who are absolutely unequivocally not impressed by me or anything I do. Although I had spent some time with Kobe cotton from dude perfect the other day. And then we have Lecrae wrote the forward to the book. And now all of a sudden I'm culturally relevant for them. <laughs> that matters. Right. But otherwise they're just not impressed by me. I need to spend time with people who are not impressed by me. That's important. Um, yeah, maybe I should stop there. No, that's, that's really helpful. I think, uh, you know, as you're talking about trying to set the rhythms in your life, I think when I think of entrepreneurs and even, somebody who is trying to, there's, there's definitely a way, and I'm not speaking from experience. So I'm saying this from reading books of entrepreneurs, reading the startup stories. And it really is like, if this thing's going to make it, it's based upon how hard I hustle, how much time I put into it. And there's a huge balance there. And even hearing what you're talking about is making sure that you have time where you are spending time with the Lord, you are exercising, you are, you know, spending time with your wife and your kids um, and I think oftentimes, you know, maybe it's a church planner who's listening in right now, or it could just be any, any church leader, or any, any business leader where that feeling of, I have to put in as many hours as possible. This is all weighing on me in order to, to make this happen. What advice would you share with, with somebody sitting across the table from you and just sharing those feelings? Um, and how would you just instruct them on that? Yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. You know, for a while I had the Bible verse from Luke um, that says to whom much is given, much is expected. And if you don't effectively, if you don't deliver, you're going to be beaten with many blows and I'm getting the ordering wrong and I'm paraphrasing the Bible, but you get the theme that drives a lot of entrepreneurs. I had taken that quote from scripture out of context and it ended up driving me to a place uh, that wasn't healthy. 
And it was almost like in, in the early days of bandwidth that, um, and now David, my partner at bandwidth is more spiritually mature than I am. So he didn't wrestle with the same things, but I wrestled with almost a concept of as if I was trying to earn my own salvation. Mm. I never would have gotten that question wrong on a multiple choice test, right? Can you earn your own salvation or not? I wouldn't have been that bad, but I was acting as if I thought I needed to. And, um, and that was, that was, that was a real challenge. I think that the balance that an entrepreneur has is, um, am I, uh, am I faithful and obedient? Um, do I understand, do I have a right understanding of, again, of my identity? Cause if you have the wrong understanding of your identity, okay, here's what drives you to work in 80 hours a week. When your identity starts seeping into the fact that you're this entrepreneur that's growing at 20% month over month, and that that's what is expected of you by culture, your friends, your spouse, or your God. Okay. What is it that's driving you? All of a man's ways seem pure to him, but his motives are weighed by the Lord. Okay. If it is a desire to be faithful and obedient, and that is leading you to a time of a lot of work in a season God may be leading you that way, right? God led David to like, you know, going off and leading people in the war. And that was stressful at times. There'll be stressful seasons as an entrepreneur. And to say that if you have stress, that means you're an unhealthy entrepreneur would just be too naive, just be too naive and not right. But it has to come from a sense of what are my motives? Am I being faithful and obedient to what God has said in front of me? And do I have, um, other places to go where I can check that kind of working framework. Can I, can I invite my spouse into that? Like, here's what I want to do. I want to be able to be faithful and obedient and bringing all that I have, all of my giftings and my experience and talent to the altars, my meaningful form of worship, not because God needs it, but because he gives me an opportunity to do that. And in the process, I can participate in the work he's doing and experience his joy. Okay. That's what I'm trying to do here. Can you please help me to stay accountable to that end? Knowing that if left to my own devices and you know, some of my sinful habits, I'm saying hypothetically now to their spouse, you know, that I have a tendency to overwork. You know, I have a tendency to be motivated by the approval of my peers, or, you know, all the different things I have going to your spouse, going to an accountability group with your friends, inviting them into that process, and then checking in uh, with God every day and his word about where does I feel like he's leading me? Those are things to help you maintain that type of balance, if you will. Also understanding that there are seasons um, and there are going to be seasons where you're working really, really hard, but just checking on the motives, I think is probably the, the biggest thing. And if I, were gonna, if I was going to make it just kind of neat and just package it all up, we have a mark. One of the marks of a faith driven entrepreneur is to endeavor to be faithful rather than willful. Because again, you got a podcast with a bunch of pastors listening to it. It's, you know, you can see this all throughout scripture. You know, it, it's um, uh, Saul was supposed to wait on Samuel, but he just, he needed to go off and he just did things on his own. Um, um, but then you had Gideon, you know, you know, a lot of people think Gideon wasn't a very decisive leader, you know, delaying off all these fleeces, but he was faithful and waiting. But you can also be willful, by the way, in passivity. Back to David. In the season when kings are going off in a war, he stayed behind and that didn't go well for him. So what's your mindset? Are you being willful or are you being faithful? And that's, how would you characterize that season? If you're feeling that you're being faithful and you're working really hard and you have these inputs from these other people, well, it's, a, it's a season for you to work really hard. 
that season probably shouldn't last more than a couple months, but it's a mindset that most entrepreneurs miss. When you, uh, when you look at the different seasons of your life, um, you've mentioned that you have a, a wife and three sons. You've mentioned the importance of, of your spouse. What does leadership in your home look like? Uh, what does it look like now? And, you know, uh, maybe what did it look like uh, in, in a time or two in the past? I want to, again, pithy and cliche answers that I, you know, all these things I aspire to and ascribe to, and I know that I fall short of, but one pragmatic thing that's helpful is about 15 years ago, a guy named John Hawkins who runs a mentorship ministry called leadership edge, uh, got me in a hallway at church. And he said, um, I, I think bandwidth was starting to grow and, 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 and he has a heart for, uh, younger leaders. And he said, look, you don't know me that well, but, um, if I ask your wife right now, how good of it, what kind of letter grade she would give you as being a husband, what would she give you? I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd hope I get an A, but you should ask her. But that has always been in the back of my mind about, I need, I believe that I need to be able to be world-class at loving my wife, that I need to be world-class at loving my boys that that is more important than the work I do at bandwidth. As we grew bandwidth, we had these four values, faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And if you talk about that enough over thousands of employees and their families and your wife and your boys here, you talk about as well, you better really deliver on that. So, you know, I've been to, you know, I've got three boys, all of whom are in sports and I've probably been to 98% of all of their games. And that's really important to me. And I also understand the importance of the shadow of a leader. And that is that if I do that in the organizations that I lead, I'm now giving permission for the other people in my organization to do the same. And that's, that's, that's also super important. So how do I lead at home? I look to be able to, to, to mirror and reflect though very dimly and very imperfectly the father's love to them. The father who loves me and show that because I hear so many kind of with like with my boys, you know, I hear so much, so much that young men will go through a discipleship ministry and they'll say, uh, they'll talk about their view of God and that their view of God is shaped by their view of their earthly father in their formative stages as they come to understand God. And um, I want my boys to see a loving father and I make mistakes all the time, but that's what I try to do. I take that role very, very, very seriously. And yet I fail every day. So leading means um, uh, doing family devotions and making sure that they understand that, um, that my relationship with God is the most important thing for me. And I need to model that out. And I need to suggest that he is worth having a relationship with. And that to whatever extent that they see me being successful, it is only because I have a relationship with God and hopefully they will emulate that. But we have these beautiful conversations where we process some of these devotions. And sometimes we don't have beautiful conversations and their eyes just completely glaze over. But, um, I want to, I want to love Kimberly and spend time with her. And, um, we have a beautiful relationship. Um, but it wasn't always that way. The early days were really awful when I was trying to, figure out who I was and um, the, but that's what, what leading is. It's just, 
also modeling out humility, which sounds, how can you say how you can be humble and then say, you, you know, you're good at modeling out humility. I, I, I try to be very, um, very open with, um, where I fall and, uh, where I don't go into great, great and grave detail about every aspect of my sin. I have three boys and are trying to figure out, you know, you know, I, I'm having these thoughts and are they normal and they're natural and will God forgive me? And, and just how do you even process these things? So I have to model out by having some level of vulnerability and transparency too. Um, but I, that's, that's what I try to do. And what a, what a convicting question of what, what would grade would your wife give you, um, you know, as you're leading home? So that I know because I'm like, okay, what are the subjects? Uh, because when I look at the different gym, yeah, I get an A in gym. Like we go out on some great ski trips and stuff like that. But I'm just, yeah. no, I mean, for real, like uh, that hit home with me too. Um, and, and now I'm like, great. Every time I get convicted of something, I'm somewhat accountable to it. So I want to process I wonder what the, uh, if I'm breaking down, what are those things that as a husband I'm supposed to be doing, you know, the three or four big things, uh, what's my grade in each of those. So yeah. Thanks a lot, Henry. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> let, yeah. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the conviction today. That's great. Uh, well, let's go back to your 20 year old self. So you're just starting to, to lead. You're trying to figure out what, what leadership's going to look like. What would you tell your 20 year old self now that you have the experience that you have about preparing to lead? Okay. So you didn't tell me if this is an imperfect answer. I know it is, but it, you know, you asking that question mirrors a question that I ask every speaker. We have that thing called inklings, this group of faith driven entrepreneurs that get together in the marketplace out here in Silicon Valley. And every time we'll have somebody who's relatively successful. And so it's not just about how cool and successful they are as an exec at Google or at Apple or in venture capital or something like that. I always say, what's one thing that you would uh, wish that you had known as a 35 year old? And so um, I'm going to give you the best answer I've ever heard on that because it's a, a by extension is the answer I'd give to a 20 year old okay. version of myself. And he said, uh, this guy named Josh Kwan who started an organization called Praxis and is the CEO of something called The Gathering Now. And he thought about it for a second and he said, okay, the, what I wish I had known at age 35 is what Albert Einstein said was the most, was the most powerful force in the world, which is the value of compounded interest. And if I had applied that to the spiritual disciplines and I really did believe and understood the time in God's word every day and processing that with friends uh, uh, was important. If I did that every single day, the dividends it'd be paying now would be bigger than they are. Same thing with prayer, same thing with fasting. And on the prayer side, that's probably my weakest thing. I, I know how important it is. And just, uh, you know, a 20 year old leader. Okay. So here's what I, any 20 year old leader was sitting right in front of me and they had ambition and they had some leadership ability. I would show them my favorite leadership lesson in all of the Bible, which comes from second Chronicles. So, um, and I've done this a couple of times now reading the Bible chapter by chapter with the group of six or seven friends. And I'll tell you, if you're going through the Bible and you've gotten this, the second part of second Chronicles, you've just gone through all the genealogies, which are amazingly <laughs> boring. It's really hard to have some really substantive commentary about some of the genealogies, but in the second chron second part of second Chronicles, it shows the bad Kings and the good Kings of Judah and the leadership mistakes 
not of the bad gangs. See, they were just train wrecks. But the leadership, the leadership mistakes of the good ones, and every one of them, I think there's seven or eight of them, every one of them made a key leadership mistake. And that is that they didn't seek God's will out. For some of them, it was a trade deal. For some of them, it was a, whether to go off in a war or not. And these are the good kings of Judah. They, like their spiritual father, David, who is a man after God's heart, were presented like, hey, do we want to go ahead and you know do 10,000 bushels of wheat with this you know, nation? Yes or no? And the, these are good people, good leaders. And they would go ahead and they respond out of the common sense they had. And I was like, yeah, let's do that or not do that. But they didn't do what Nehemiah did when Nebuchadnezzar or whoever the leader was at the time said, what do you want to do about your spiritual homeland? What do you want to do? It says Nehemiah prayed, which doesn't mean that he like left and went to his prayer closet for like an hour and then came back to the king. No, like real time. God, give me the wisdom. What should I do here? Open doors that need to be open, closed doors that need to be closed. And in each case, those seven kings blew it. They didn't do it. They didn't see God. And in each case, it resulted really, really badly. And so um, I would tell my 20-year-old self, my 35-year-old self, my 51-year-old self, who just yesterday made decisions without just pausing for a second and asking God, just, you know, help me make sure that if this is not of you, just kill it. Right. That's what I'd tell the 20 year old. Self. I love that. That's so profound, but it's also, it's something that is simple for us to do is to, to align ourselves to God in that way to seek after him and, and just to pause. I mean, I think that's what it is in the decision-making. It's not, I'm going to trust my common sense, but instead I'm going to pause and just simply ask Lord reveal if this is of you or not. Cause common sense is great, but there can be times where the Lord does close doors very clearly or open them very clearly as well. That's great. Well, Henry, thank you so much for your time today and, and walking through the five leadership questions with us. And uh, we hope this has been helpful to you for listening. And if it has head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. So other leaders like yourself can find the podcast and also go check out Henry's new book, faith driven entrepreneur, and you're going to love it. We'll see you next time.